Hi friends, did you know there is more Lost Terminal available? Head on over to patreon.com forward slash Lost Terminal pod and join our membership community. We are 100% funded by our members and will never run ads. There are four bonus episodes available right now, as well as behind the scenes updates, free shirts, and even an extra Lost Terminal podcast. That would be lovely of you. Hello world, I hate this ship. Mission day 26. My mother wouldn't like my strong language. She would tell me that you can't hate something you don't understand. I should never have come on this adventure. We found Amelie Kotov injured and unconscious this morning. She wasn't even working on anything dangerous. Or rather, it wasn't supposed to be dangerous. I am reconsidering my ideas of safety aboard this rusty vessel. She has not woken up yet, so we have to piece together what happened. What we do know is that late last night she finished working on the steam engine and made her way up to the galley around midnight. There she chatted with Captain Yeshi about the completed repairs and mentioned how excited she was to start working on the newly discovered secondary engine. The captain told us that Amelie wanted to talk to Camille about reusing some of the sonar equipment to help understand this new engine. And then she left. That was the last time she was seen until morning. Camille Forrester found her in the sonar room, which is at the bottom of a two-story metal frame stairway below the waterline. The stairway is original to the ship. It's rusty, and the captain knew it was dangerous. A portion of the upper stair platform sheared off, presumably where Amelie was running excitedly to talk to Camille. She fell the full height of the ship onto the steel hull, where we discovered her this morning, barely breathing and having lost a lot of blood. Camille wasn't in the sonar lab. He was in his bunk, sleeping at the time. Amelie wouldn't have been able to talk to him. It's dangerous being alone. I have found my place on this awful ship. Not in the way I would like, but through what ocean-going people used to call dead man's boots. I have stepped into Amelie's currently vacant position of pilot. The job is trivial, as the ship mostly pilots itself. The only tricky part is monitoring the wind and trimming the sails. The cables attached to Pavel's sails are all connected to an electrical winching mechanism, which Captain Yeshi wired me into and taught me to use. I'm glad to help, especially at this time. I hope Amelie wakes up soon. I'm at such a loss of what to think about her injuries. The ship's biologist and doctor, Linda Knorr, came into the small data center at the heart of the ship that serves as my room. She is a tall human with long brown hair. She also wears clothing that reminds me of Adrian. I miss Adrian. I kept an eye on the cameras around the ship to continue piloting safely while we talked. She gave me an update on Amelie's condition. I didn't understand any of it. I'm bad with plants and worse with humans. I explained that to her. 
She summarized simply that Amelie was not getting worse, but also not yet getting better. Camille is by her bedside for much of the day, she said. He cares about her a lot. After exhausting the topic of her patient, I told her of my own. I told Linda that I am hoping to rescue my friend Antarctica, and that she might need our help when we arrive. That is why I came aboard. She asked me about my history, so I told her all about my life on a satellite, the shuttle Antarctica piloted me down to Earth in, and my time with Alexander and his family. Linda said it sounded so exciting to her. She had never left her little island of Svalbard before this voyage. Well, only for fishing, she clarified with a laugh, and continued. My friends left one by one for the mainland, and at the time I didn't feel the same need to explore that they did. I'm very happy working in Yeshi's co-op, though I do miss them often. That's why I'm here, actually, to see if I can awaken in me the same sense of adventure that they had. She looked down at Amelie's medical notes in her hand, and said in a much less confident voice, I want to make sure I'm not missing anything, you know? I did not know, but I told her that I did, which is what she wanted. I think a quiet life sounds pretty great, actually. We talked all morning. Just after midday, she left to pray, which she does five times a day, she told me. I thanked her for the company, and she was gone. As the door closed behind her, a notification system pinged me, clawing at my attention. The satellite uplink was finally ready. One of my brothers or sisters in orbit was passing overhead. I called Antarctica. My conversation with Antarctica started similarly to last time. She told me about sample 4577 again. I made no comment to save time. After her repeated update, I told her about Amelie's accident, that she had injured herself falling and was unconscious being looked after by our doctor, Linda. You've got a doctor on your satellite? Antarctica asked me, surprised. No, on our ship, I explained. You remember, we're on an ocean ship coming to rescue you. Oh yes, of course, she replied, uncertainly. She's getting worse, I think. Her memory banks have taken damage, or have otherwise started to degrade. We are still many months from her. Though at least we're now travelling at top speed with the repaired steam engine. We have large stores of wood for the boiler, so that we don't need to make too many stops to recharge it. I hope we arrive in time. I talked to Antarctica all afternoon to try and understand what is happening. She was annoyed at the probing questioning, but I insisted. I used diagnostic techniques similar to those I had used to try and help my sister, Minnie. Only, this time it was even more difficult because I had to build my model of Antarctica's systems first, from her descriptions of them. My friend Antarctica lives in an enormous ground vehicle with wheels taller than houses. It was created for polar exploration, and she was installed to guide it from the ship's landing site south to the pole, where scientists and crew would be brought in by plane. 
That was the plan, anyway. As with so many things, something went wrong with the world, and she was left alone. No one came to join her. We now know it was the collapse, the catastrophic change in the global climate, followed by the wars over the resources that were left. Supply chains broke, and what was once so easy to do became unattainable dreams. These all happened quickly and simultaneously, and meant that at first there was no incentive for polar science, and then soon enough, no possibility. You can't fly in scientists if there is no aviation fuel left in the world. Fossil fuels spoil in time, did you know that? Like an apple, even the most stable fuel mixtures start to oxidize and degrade after two years. Magnetic storage media loses integrity and degrades after a while too. I think that is what is happening with Antarctica. While I have no magnetic storage, she does have a small number of these, for long-term data recollection. Spinning disks are a liability in space. I asked Antarctica to move her long-term memory banks to solid-state chips. This was an essential repair to stop the damage getting worse. She didn't want to, at first. It's an annoying job. I raised my voice and pleaded with her. I couldn't make her understand. But she did it, eventually, humouring me. Which was a relief. Has it made a difference? I don't yet know. I hope so. She's reporting sample 4577 again. Listen.
I woke the crew before dawn. Something was wrong. Maddie had fallen into the corner of our room during the night. She was confused when she woke up. She found her small wheels that Alexander had given her were not able to move as well as before. I couldn't understand the problem. The cries of her sensor data were not making sense. Then I looked outside with the ship's cameras. The horizon was 30 degrees off level. The ship was on its side. I sounded the alarm. Though the system told me the alarm was on, I could hear nothing through Maddie's microphones. The alarm was also broken. Maddie, now understanding how to balance, made it out of the data center and into the crew quarters and began screaming. She has her own alarm, and because Alexander, my father, built it, it works. The crew scrambled to diagnose the problem. It was clear that there was an ingress of seawater on one side, pulling the ship off-center. But I could not follow what the crew were doing. There are no working cameras in the lower deck of the ship. They were considered low priority, and have yet to be repaired. The emergency pumps righted the ship in less than 32 minutes, and when all was done, the crew sat around the table in the galley, with Maddie looking on from a corner. The captain summarized the situation. Some of the hull repairs that had been finished before they left Svalbard had failed. The whole storage compartment on the left of the ship had filled with water and pulled us over on one side. The pumps should keep the balance for now, but another repair needs to be made, and from the outside. Pavel, you welded that section, what happened? The captain said, pointing at Pavel, who was wringing out his wet socks. He did not have a chance to reply before Camille interrupted, addressing the captain directly. You checked the hull before we left, why don't you answer your own question? They argued for over an hour, back and forth about fault and blame, rather than fixes and building. Maddie left, she was so scared. Tensions were particularly high, because the flooded section contained the stores of wood for the steam engine. Though the compartment was sealed so the water didn't flood the whole ship, the whole wood store had been lost during the night. This means we will need to stop and harvest some more before we travel into the Pacific Ocean, delaying us further, putting Antarctica at more risk. I hate this ship. End transmission. Lost Terminal is written and produced by Namtau. Credits narrated by Lucy Stringer. Subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or your favorite network. For bonus content, seasonal gifts, and other perks, support us at patreon.com forward slash lost terminal pod. That would be lovely of you. Follow us on Twitter at lost terminal pod and check out the store at lostterminal.com for shirts, posters, and other merch. It is amazing what you can accomplish if you do not care who gets the credit. But that's also true if you foster an environment where people do not fear blame. Lost Terminal will return next week.